All right, how you guys doing? All right, fantastic. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors, and we are smack dab in the middle of a series entitled More, where we're talking about our appetites. You know, when we think of the word appetite, what do you naturally drift toward? What do you think about? Food, all right? Now, here's the thing. That is an, you know, that is an appetite, all right? Now, uh, let me tell you, but there's more than just food, right? I mean, guys, there's food, and there's sex, and that's pretty much it, isn't it? Now, ladies are a little bit more complicated, and I'm just joking, I'm poking fun, but everybody has appetites. Let's talk through some of these things we looked at last week. We have an, all of us have an appetite to be cherished, to be loved, to be wanted. We have an appetite to win. We have an appetite to be respected. We have an appetite for physical intimacy. We have an appetite to be envied. Um, in fact, think about it, guys. That's the reason why we drive the cars that we drive, if you think about it. I mean, we can't see the cars that we drive, right? We're in them. So we buy these cars on the outside that people go, oh, if I just had that, you know, and we're envied, all right? Um, we uh, All of us have the appetite for fame, uh, for relationships or friendships. Uh, we have the appetite to be promoted, uh, to get more money. We have an appetite um, for more responsibility. I mean, we, whatever your appetite, we have an appetite for pleasure or uh, we have an appetite for uh, to just, I mean, adrenaline junkies, to that next big thing. We talked all about these last week. And whatever your appetite, whether I shared it or maybe I didn't share it, one of the things we looked at last week is that all of these appetites come from God. All of these appetites, God created us as a bundle of appetites. And here's the thing. God created our appetites, but sin distorted them. God created these desires and wants in our life, but sin distorts them and we can get out of balance. And that's what our appetites do because they're always screaming for more. Always. That's what we looked at last week. Today, our big idea is this. That our appetites are powerful... And they never are satisfied. Let's all say that. Our appetites are powerful and are never satisfied. One more time. Appetites are and are satisfied. All right? That's what we're talking about. They never go away. They never go away. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you finally get. It doesn't matter how much sex you finally have. It doesn't matter how many friends you get on Facebook. It doesn't matter how much stuff you get or it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It's never going to be enough security for you. Our appetites are never satisfied, but they're powerful. And here's the kicker. Whether or not we allow our appetites to control our life will determine the course of our life. You know this, and I know this because we all have parents. Some of you, you grew up in a broken home because there was one person in your home who could not control an appetite. And they were, he or she, were always wanting more, always desiring more. You know this. In fact, how many of y'all have ever watched the movie Lord of the Rings? All right, cool. All right, the, I mean, the, one of the characters in there, his name is Smeagol, right? Or Gollum. And what is he always wanting? He's wanting my precious, right? He's wanting the ring. And But to be honest with you, all of us, we have Smeagles and Gollums in our life who are always wanting more. They're always wanting that one little thing that's just out of reach. All of us do. 
And whatever that is, it's not necessarily wrong unless it controls us. And then our appetites can come, become self-destructive. We think, and here's where we get into problems, when we think there's one thing that if we purchase, we won't need anymore, that, or if there's one person that we can be physically intimate with, then it'll just fill us up. We will never, ever need anymore. I mean, the, we, we trick ourselves into thinking, if I could just own that house, if I could just get this position, if I could just get a larger, and you just fill in the blank, whatever it is, that it would be okay. But here's the thing. It's never, ever going to be satisfied. Ever. You know, and as we think about this, these appetites destroying, we can talk, they destroy marriages, they destroy relationships. I was thinking through this when it comes to pastors. I heard a fellow a couple of years ago at a catalyst talk about this, and I want to share with you today. He said this. He says, I don't think I know of two pastors that's lost their ministry or their influence or leadership over bad theology. But he says, I can name pastor after pastor after pastor, men and women, men and women who have, are now sidelined because an appetite took control over their life. And they could not say no. I mean, you probably know of some people like that as well. People who are no longer in the game of life because they allowed an appetite to get out of control and they could not say no to. All right, so that's where we're going to be going today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 25. We give away Bibles free here at One Church because we want everybody to be able to own a Bible that they can understand and read. Now, if you don't want to grab one of the Bibles, if you have a web-enabled phone, you can get version out, you can hit the live events, and you can follow us, all the stuff. You heard what the, uh, what the video said. Now, <clears throat> before we get there, I need to give you some background. Because Genesis 25 happened a long time ago, all right? In fact, the book of Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings, and it is the very first book of the Bible, all right? And it's a a good beginning. We we all need beginnings, right? It's a very good place to start, Maria and the Sound of Music once said. So some of you are going, I don't even know if you're a man. Just hang out with me. I just like Sound of Music, all right? Why you got to be a hater? Anyway, Let me give you some background about, we're going to be looking at two brothers here. Two brothers. And in this Middle Eastern culture 2,000 years ago, very, very different than ours because they have this idea of a birthright. Let me explain it. If you're the first person born in a family, all right, you are automatically given a birthright. And it had, you didn't earn it. It just happened because you were born First, very good. All right. Now, let me give you some benefits of this birthright. If you're, if, if you're the first person born, you get double the inheritance of all your other brothers and sisters. All right. So let's say you have three other brothers and sisters. You were born first. You're going to get double the money at the end of your parents' life. All right. It's pretty cool, right? <clears throat> now, how many of y'all are first born in here? How many of y'all wish that was still around? All right, cool. All right. Let's move on. All right. Now, let me give you, there's another benefit. There's not only a financial benefit, you're going to get double what all of your other siblings get. But there's also an authoritative benefit because, and we're going to talk about this in a, a series coming up in December. If you're the oldest person born, everybody comes to you to, to make decisions. You're kind of the judge. So if there's a family dispute, they don't take it to court. 
they bring it to the oldest uh, the, the oldest person. So that's what they do. So it was kind of cool. So everybody said, hey, excuse me, uh, um, whatever your name is, if you're the oldest, uh, tell me, what do you think we should do? And whatever you said was law. Again, oldest people in here would like that, huh? All right. Now, here's another, and this is a third thing. This is probably the most unique thing that in the Hebrew mind, in the Old Testament culture, this mindset, that, that it's almost like God was almost forced to bless you if you had the birthright. This idea that his presence was with you more than, than he was, that his presence was with anyone else in the family. It was something to be prized and cherished that you had the blessing of God. So this birthright was threefold. You got more money, double the money than anybody else. All right? So you had bling bling. All right? Secondly, you had authority and people had to do what you say. All right? You were the head of the family, kind of like Don Corleone or, you know, the Godfather. All right. <clears throat> anyway, and the third one was that God would bless you. Now, as we look at these two brothers today, these were just no two ordinary brothers because these two brothers had a grandfather who was famous. His name was Abraham, the grandfather's name was. And God met Abraham and told Abraham, I am choosing you, Abraham, over anyone else. And I am making an agreement, God said, with you. I am going to choose your family, and your family is going to grow, grow, grow. There are going to be millions of people out there. And I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a blessing. In fact, one day when God's son shows up, he's going to come through your line. And Abraham is just blown away. So Abraham, he has a son. His name is Isaac. By the way, Isaac's name means laughter. You want to know why? Because Abraham and Sarah had this baby when they were 190 years old. He was 100, she was 90. What else are you going to do? you got to laugh about that one. If you don't, you're going to cry. Right? <clears throat> I turned 40 this year, and I have a 4-year-old. Dear Jesus. Right? Um, anyway, move on. All right, I need counseling. You know that. But Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had two sons. And it's those two sons that we're going to look at who were grandchildren to Abraham. And their names are Jacob and Esau. All right, some of y'all went to Sunday school. Let's look at this. All right, Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 and 28 says this. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home and watch TLC. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game. Esau brought home, but Rebecca loved who? All right, so let's talk about this for a little bit. This is going to be some fun. All right. Jacob, he's the youngest, doesn't have the birthright. All right, he's a mama's boy. He loves staying at home. He loves cooking. All right, all right. He, I mean, he just he loves that. TLC is his show. All right, or maybe Lifetime for Women. I don't understand it, <clears throat> but he's home. He's probably playing with some Barbies. His name means deceiver. Now, here's a, this is Jerry Springer moment. If your parents name you deceiver, that's probably not a good sign. Don't want it out there. Now, that's Jacob, the mama's boy. All right? Doesn't have the birthright. Let's talk about my boy Esau, though. Esau, his name means hairy. All right? And that's exactly what he was. He was hairy. 
He was a man's man. If he was in the armed forces at all, I'm sure he was SF. All right. Um, I mean, he had it. I mean, he was living the life. He was living the dream. He had the birthright, right? And ladies were, I mean, they were attracted to him, right? In fact, uh, some of you, you've probably seen commercials about Esau. How many of y'all seen the Dos Equis commercial? The most interesting man alive. Stay thirsty, my friends. That's Esau, right? That, that is Esau's life. He is like, the, the the father's the, the best dream a father could ever have of having a son. And Jacob was like, so whatever. Right? But Esau had it all. He had the money because of the birthright. He had the authority because of the birthright. And he had this idea that God was going to do something special in his life. That he was destined for something more. That is Esau. And that is is Jacob. He's got it all. But here's the thing. We're going to see how this guy Esau, who had it all, flushed it all down the toilet because of an appetite in his life that was out of control. Let's look at it. Verse 29. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, because that's what Jacob liked doing, Esau arrived home from the where? Wilderness. All right. He was smelling like musk. Right? And what, and what, is it, what, what was he doing? He's, he is exhausted and what? Hungry. Here's an appetite. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. And by the way, this is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means what? Red. Now, how many of y'all have older brothers? All right, cool. A lot of you in here. How many of y'all, you are the older brother? Shame on you. And let me tell you, if you don't have children, like multiple siblings, or if you maybe were the only child, you're going to miss this. So I got to kind of unearth this. Let me show you some of my boys up here. I got three boys. I got Walt, who's 12. I got my middle son, Jed, who's seven. And then I have Bing, who's four years old. And let me tell you how the dynamics play out in the Edmondson household. Because Walt very rarely needs something from his younger brothers. He's got it all, right? He's been living longer. He's got more toys. He's got it all. In fact, our house, we, don't, we didn't have an extra bedroom for one of our sons, so we, made, we took the family room over the garage, and we gave it to Walt. He's got the biggest room. He's got it all, right? Now, Jed and Bing are always wanting to play with Walt's stuff. Walt very rarely wants to play with Bing's toys, right, or Jed's. In fact, one of the things, I don't even think we're going to do Christmas for the younger kids this year. We're going to take everybody's toys and we're just going to round robin them. Because I think everybody would be happy, except Walt. All right, here's the thing. Walt very rarely ever needs anything from Jed or Bing. And Jed and Bing are always wanting something from, Jed's always wanting some of Walt's stuff. And Bing is always wanting some of Jed's stuff, right? And here's the thing. That's how it is in every family dynamic. That the oldest really doesn't, is calling the shots. Here's the thing. In this story, we're getting ready to see the oldest needs something from the younger. And a wise younger brother will put pause 
and say, you know what, let's talk about that. And the younger brothers will start negotiating for what is the most precious for the older brother. So like in my family dynamic, Walt, uh, he was into Star Wars stuff, huge into Star Wars. So a Jed, if he's one, hey, you know, Walt says, hey, I need this from you, Jed. And Jed will say, hey, let me have your Star Wars stuff. Well, no, I'm not going to give you, okay, let me have your room. No, you ain't getting my room. And he'll just kind of go down from there and he'll start negotiating, right? I mean, that's how it is with multiple boys, dear Jesus. All right? Now, here's the thing. That is what we see in this dynamic because the younger really has the upper hand with the older. And it's a very rare position that the older rarely is ever in. All right? So, let's see one of the most ridiculous trades found in the Bible. Look at this. Verse 31 and 32. The younger is talking to the older, and the younger is scheming. Remember, he's a deceiver. But Jacob replied, huh, you want this too? First, sell me what? Your birthright. Sell me your birthright. And what does Esau say? Look, I'm about to die. I mean, you're talking about middle school girls drama. I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? I mean, think, that's a, think about that. Esau says... I would rather have stew than to have my birthright. I mean, who in their right mind, are you kidding, would do that? Who in their right mind would trade their future for a bowl of stew? Who would throw away their future, would throw away their family for a bowl of Campbell's soup? Who would, would, would just give it all up and flush it down the toilet and get rid of the respect of their children and the legacy that they have in a community? Who would put all of that in jeopardy for a bowl of stew? Let me tell you who would do that. You would. And I would if it was the right bowl of stew, wouldn't we? All of us would. You see, the issue is this just isn't your appetite. You see, Esau's appetite was coming out and it was calling the shots. And all of us, you have an appetite in your life right now that is screaming that, you know what, you, if you would just, if you would give it to me more, you would be happier. You would be more fulfilled. People would respect you more. And Esau's appetite was out of control and he is getting ready to flush his future, his monetary future. He's going to flush his authoritative future and he's going to flush God's blessings right down the commode. And he's going to disrespect it all for a bowl of stew. Why? Because our appetites are powerful and they're never satisfied. Our appetites will never go away. You and I are going to be offered day in and day out, month in and month out for us to compromise our future of our spouse Our family, you know what, if you could just sleep with him. I mean, he looks good in skinny jeans. And yeah, your husband doesn't notice you the way he does, and and you start going down that path. You're getting ready to flush it down the toilet over a one-night stand. It's your bowl of stew. Look at this. Verse 31, 32, look, Esau said, I am about to die. And I'm, and if I, how did this dude walk into the camp? He walked into camp, right? He walks into camp and he's like, I'm about to die. He ain't about to die. I mean, his blood sugar may be a little bit low, 
right? But he walked into camp. That don't even make no sense. But you know what? Something about our appetites, we lose perspective, don't we? He says this, what is use is the birthright to me. What good is it? And if I would just say, if I was there, I'd say, dude, what good is it? You're going to get double the money. You're going to be the guy everybody comes and looks to and talks to and asks you the questions. You are going to be the guy whom God is going to bless in amazing ways because God made a promise to your grandfather, Abraham. Now, that's crazy because he's flushing it down the toilet. But here's the thing, and here's why psychologists have, have looked at this, this idea of what happens in our brains because chemically when we want something, when our appetite is out of control, and we so want that. There's some chemical changes that happens in our brain. And it happens every time you go shopping for new shoes. And I'm talking to the ladies. It happens, guys, when you go and you go to Best Buy. Or you go to Sears and look at craftsman tools. I don't understand you guys like when you do that. But, I mean, I, you know, moving on. All right. Uh, let me talk about some of these chemical changes that happens in your brain. The first one is this, and it's called impact bias. It's called impact bias. Here's the definition of it. Impact bias takes an appetite and magnifies it out of proportion. It it takes an appetite and it magnifies it out. It blows it out of proportion. And it's like this. Let me me talk through this. You You start telling yourself your brain lies to you, and it says this. You know what? If you did this, you're going to feel like an ape. But your brain is lying to you because you're probably going to feel like a two. All right? I mean, if you could just purchase that thing, you're going to, everybody's going to be talking about you and go, did you see his car? Did you see his lady? Did you see his? And you fill in the blank. And, and you're going to think, wow, that's going to be awesome. And you're going to think, man, that's an eight. That's maybe even a nine. But your brain is lying to you. It's a two. Maybe a three. This explains buyer's remorse, right? How many of y'all have ever had buyer's remorse? How many of y'all are human? This explains why you go into Walmart wanting hot dogs and you come back out $300 later. I'm telling you, no lie. We're talking about that one next week, right? Because all of us, we think, if I could just have that, and we get in there and we see the end caps, ooh, does it really slim up me up that much? Right? And, I mean, and, and, and we look at it and we think it's going to be, I mean, if I could just, yeah, I know my wife, she's cute, but if I could just sleep with her, it's going to be awesome. But it's not. Your brain is lying to you. It's not going to be an eight. It may be a one. Why? Because you're part of the equation. Throwing that out there. Let me give you another one. That's impact bias, and that chemically that's what happens in our brain. Now, here's another one. It's called focalism. And focalism says this. Focalism says that we look, our minds focus on one thing and blurs out everything else. Blurs out everything else. All right? Now, this explains some of you guys' high school, right? I mean, when she walked into the room, it seems like time stopped and her hair kind of flipped up, right? And, and everything just kind of faded out of existence and you just saw her, Right? And, 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 and you saw, and you still remember what she was wearing and what type of perfume she had on and maybe even what type of uh, shampoo she had in her hair because she did this and you know, whatever, right? Uh, I was a little crazy, I got to be honest with you. Um, but it, 
But here's you noticed her, but here's the thing. She didn't notice you then, and she doesn't know you still exist even today. You know what I'm talking about? Everything blurs, and you can remember that one point. Because that's what focalism is. It focuses on that one thing to the exclusion of everything else. And guys and ladies, we all have that. I am, I really have that. My wife can attest to you. When I am thinking about making a big purchase, I will, I will look at it and I will Google it and I will study it for six months. A couple of years ago, I wanted to get a grill. My, my outdoor grill was dying. All right. In fact, I think it was dead. I don't even think I had a grill at the time. So I'm looking, I mean, you know, which one's the best one to buy? So I'm looking at, you know, Gen Air, and I'm looking at the egg, you know, and I'm looking at, you know, all of this stuff. I did all of this research, and I printed out, and I put side-by-side comparisons. You know, the life is passing me by, but I am looking at grills for six months, right? Because that's how all of us get. We focus on one thing to the exclusion of everything else, and it's focalism. All right, that is huge. Esau, he's experiencing impact bias. Man, that stew's gonna taste good. It's gonna be maybe a nine. I know my little brother; he's a little light, but I'm telling you, he cooks. All right, and that's the only thing he can focus. He ain't focused on his birthright anymore. He focused on what? Getting getting some food, right? All right. So that's what happened. Look at verse 33 of Genesis 25. But Jacob said, first, swear to me." that you sell me your birthright. First, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother who? Esau traded his future for a bowl of stew. You know, at this point in the story, I wish I could sit down and kind of intervene and go back in time and uh, show up right before this interchange took place. And say, hey, Esau, time out. My name's Chris. Nice to meet you. Let's talk. I know you're hungry, dude. I know you say you're getting ready to die. I know you said, you know, you're, I mean, you got to have this this stew and this soup, this whatever this stuff is. And it may be great. But really? Is this the wisest choice? I mean, stop, dude. I mean, let's, let, let me, let me give you some perspective, Esau. You remember that, 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 that deal, that agreement that God made with your grandfather Abraham? Yeah, yeah, I, me- I remember that. I heard about that when I was a little kid at Abraham's knee. Okay, cool. Let's talk about that. You don't know this now. This is just the beginning of something called the Bible that's going to be written. But there's 65 more of these books coming. And God is going to follow up and he is going to, he's going to do what he says he's going to do because he's God. And this, your nation, you're going to have a lot of sons a lot of daughters, and they're going to become a, a nation eventually. And 400 years from now, there's going to be millions of you, all from your line, all from Abraham's line. And God's going to give you all of a sudden, and, and God's going to raise up a guy by the name of Moses. I know you hadn't heard of him yet, but he's coming. That's the next book, Exodus. He's coming, and, and, and Moses is going to come in, and God is going to reveal himself to Moses. And do you want to know how God's going to reveal himself to Moses? Here's what he's going to do. He's going to come to you and says, I am. Not only just I am, but I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Esau. But Esau, you make this trade, all of that is done. All of it, all bets are off. 
and you will flush your future down for a bowl of Campbell's soup. Does that make any sense to you? Well, I didn't know it. I didn't know that all that was going to happen. That's what I'm saying. But it, it, it even gets better than that, Esau. Because God is going to give all of these descendants a land and he's going to make kings and kings are going to rise and fall. And this guy by the name of King David is going to have this cool thing where he's doing a sling and he's going to fall a giant and all this stuff. And he's going to, God's going to reveal himself to David as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But if you make this trade... If you think with your gut rather than your head, if you allow your appetite to be out of control and to control you and master you, that's all gone. It's all done. And then it will be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think you don't like your little brother now? You think you're jealous of him because he gets all the stuff and he gets to stay at home? You don't even know the meaning of jealousy yet because he's going to have it all if you make this trade, you're trading your future for a bowl of stew. And it even gets better than that, Esau. Let's give some perspective. Step back, dude. All right, and let me talk to you. Did you know 2,000 years from now, God is going to send his son. His name is Jesus. To this earth. Jesus, God's son, is going to live for 33 years. He's going to have disciples, 12 disciples around him. Eventually, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. He's going to be resurrected. And everybody's going to know Jesus' name. And one of Jesus' friends, his name is Matthew. You've not heard of him, but he's coming. He's going to write a book, and they're going to call it Matthew, right? And in the book of Matthew, this is how Matthew is going to start it out. He's going to say this. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Esau. But if you make this trade, Esau, all of that is done. I know you're hungry, I know you think you're getting ready to die, but it would be better for you to die than for you to throw away the legacy of your family. It's not worth it. But you know what? Nobody was there to reframe Esau's appetite. And let me tell you one other thing. Nobody's going to be there to reframe your appetite when you are getting ready to make the dumbest most pivotal decision you can ever make in your life. When you're at that bar and she looks good and your wife is at home with your child who's sick and you just need to get away and you think, you know what? This this happens to everybody else. This doesn't happen to me. I'm the most luckiest person in the world. No, you're not. You're getting ready to flush it all away. Because you're not thinking. Your appetite is controlling you. Some of you, you're thinking with your pocketbook rather than your head. And you're thinking through this way. You're going around and and I may be talking to the ladies here. Your spending is out of control. You think if I could just have that, then people would envy me. If I could just have this house, then people would want my good life. And then everybody would want to be like me. And that gives me security. Because you didn't grow up with that. But you need to know this. Your appetite is controlling you. And it is out of control. And you are literally jeopardizing the future of your spouse and your marriage and your children. 
because an appetite is out of control. That is your bowl of stew. And you're getting ready to poof it all away. Is that worth it? There are some opportunities you never should take advantage of. There are some places you should never ever go. There are some job openings that you should never ever take. Because that is the bowl of stew for you. You will trade your future for a bowl of stew. Last verse. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentils. That's just nasty. Esau did what? He ate the meal. And by the way, where'd it go? It's gone. And his birthright is gone with it. Then he got up and left and and he showed contempt for the rights of his firstborn. Let me tell you, your appetites will never be satisfied. It doesn't matter how much of, of whatever you want you get. And you fill in the blank. You think, if I could just get that. No, no, no. They're never fully satisfied. It's always going to be screaming more. If I could just have him. No, no, no. Your appetites are never satisfied. They're always wanting more. They're always... Let me, as we close, let me give you a question for you to reframe your appetites. And here's the question. Everybody write this down. This is on our U version. You can fill it in there. Ten years from now, dot, dot, dot. Ten years from now. Ten years from now. What do you want to see God do in your marriage ten years from now? What do you want to see God do in your children's lives ten years from now? What do you want to see God do? Maybe you're not married yet. And you want that spouse so much because you are so lonely. What do you want to see happen in a potential relationship 10 years from now? What do you want to see happen in your grandchildren's lives 10 years from now? What do you want to see happen with your soldiers' lives 10 years from now? What do you want to see happen in your career 10 years from now? What do you want to see happen in your community, in your church 10 years from now, that if you say yes to this, it's all gone? It's all gone. That's what's at stake. A legacy. All for you to take some money that you said you needed for whatever. All for you to say yes to a guy or a girl that you're never ever going to see again. And it's all gone. Ten years from now, what do you want to see God do in your life ten years from now? What is your bowl of stew? As I've been praying through this, and I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I've been, I worked on this series four months ago. And I've been praying literally every week since then for God to show you what your bowl of stew is. Because each and every one of us have one. I have one because I'm human. So do you. What is it? What are, maybe what is the thing that you're trying to talk your spouse into doing? You know, it's not that bad. What are, what is, and, and you're just like, you know, I, she just doesn't understand. No, 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 maybe you don't understand. Maybe she's right on and your mind's all jacked up. Because that's what happens with focalism and impact bias. What, are some, what is something that isn't illegal, but if you got caught, would embarrass you? What is that? All of us have that bowl of stew. All of us. What have you, I mean, I remember this. I mean, who are you wanting to hire? 
that you're just like, your spouse is like, no, I, I'll tell you how this worked out in my life. Longest time I wanted, to, I, I, one church needed a secretary. And there was this one lady in town um, who, um, uh, who, you know, Kim and I are friends with. And she was like, yeah, I think this would be great. She had all of the, she had the resume, she had all the quality, she had all of this stuff. And, uh, and I was getting ready to offer the job. And my wife said, don't do it. Excuse me? I mean, on paper, she's the bomb. I mean, she's got a great Christian heart. Everything's great. Don't do it. I don't, I don't, I can't explain it. I just got a feeling. Let me tell you, sometimes God speaks the clearest through our spouses. Can anybody agree with me? So you know what? I didn't hire her. I hired a nasty, dirty old guy that I'm not attracted to one whatsoever, right? Because you know what? You just don't know what's coming down the bend. You just don't know. All of us have that bowl of stew. All of us do. Yours may look different than mine. My question is, what are you getting ready? What are you telling yourself, talking yourself into? What are you rationalizing? You know how you spell rationalize? You tell yourself rational lies. What are you, what are you, you know, if somebody came and said, hey, do you think I should? You'd go, are you an idiot? Of course you shouldn't. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You would tell that to somebody, but because it's happened to you, you think I'm just special. No, you ain't special. No, you may be special. Not in the way you think. No, but you don't, no, you, no, you don't understand. You are getting ready to throw it all away for a bowl of potato soup. And it may be good potato soup. But it's not worth losing a marriage over. It's not worth losing the respect of your children over. It's not worth losing the influence and and character and integrity over. It's not worth it. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to close. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to answer a couple of questions. And then we're going to take our offering. But... All of us struggle with this bowl of stew thing. All of us have something. We have an appetite that's screaming. If you did just do this, everything would be okay. But it's lying to you. It's not going to be that great. It's not. It's not. And you're only focusing on that one thing. And you're letting life pass you by. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray for those men and women. Lord, I pray for me. All of us have struggles. God, I just pray for all of us, Lord, because we're human and you know that. And Lord, you give us stories in the Bible like we just read about Jacob and Esau and how somebody would do something so idiotic as to flush a legacy away. But God, it happens all the time. Marriages are broken. Children grow up in single family houses. All because an appetite is out of control. All because that bowl of stew looks really, really good. I pray, Lord, that we would not sacrifice our future for a flash in the pan, moment, instant of gratification. I pray, Lord, that you would give us people in our lives that would be able to ask us those tough questions of reframing our appetites. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that your spirit, if we're Christians in here, Lord, your spirit would move in our hearts and that we would listen 
to him and that we would listen to our spouse. We would listen to godly friends. And Lord, when those warning signs, those warning bells start going off, that we would not keep on barreling through at 60 miles an hour, but that we would stop. And that we would start turning around, that we would repent, that we would move in the other direction. Or it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, got a couple of questions before uh, we go. Um, can you go to heaven without being baptized? Uh, where is this talked about in the Bible? Um, what's the difference between Christianity and Catholicism? And how does the Bible say you enter heaven? All right, this is a... Uh, and then it says, why does this denomination think that Christians... Uh, that Christians will not go to heaven or something like this. All right, so let me, let me earn with that. All right, let me say this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to be baptized in order for you to become a Christian. Nowhere. All right, very, very important because if you remember, Jesus, he's, he's hanging on the cross and he has two thieves beside him and one of them begins a relationship with God. In fact, Jesus says, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Now, what happened is Jesus didn't come down off the cross and the thief didn't come down off the cross and say, okay, let me anoint you in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's not quite what happened, was it? They stayed up on the cross and Jesus says, you know what, why? Because baptism doesn't save you. It's like this. I've got a ring here, all right? If I give this ring to one of you guys, all right, does that mean that you're married? No, it doesn't. It just means you've got my ring, right? And I want it back, by the way, all right? Just because I take my ring off, I'm still married, right? My wife is in this service, and she will say, you better believe it, all right? Let me tell you, why? Because this doesn't signify whether I'm married. This is just a symbol. This is a symbol of a commitment I made to my wife on December 11th, 1993. We're celebrating 18 years that she stuck with me. That right there is praise Jesus. All right. Now, but let me tell you what this ring does. It's a symbol, just like baptism is. This ring reminds me that I'm married, all right? And it tells everybody else, ladies, I'm sorry, I'm taken. All right? I'm off the market, all right? Let me tell you what baptism does for each and every one of us. If you have a relationship with God, and let me tell you how you have that relationship with God. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 says this. Um... The testimony of God is this. God has given us eternal life. And this life is if you get baptized. Is that what it says? No. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And verse 13 says this. I've written all of these things who believe in the son of God so that you can know that you can have eternal life. See, it has nothing to do with baptism. It has everything to do, and it has nothing to do about being good enough. It's not about how many times you say prayers. It has everything to do with Jesus forgiving you of your sins by the sacrifice he did on the cross and you accepting that. So very good question. Thank you very much. Let me give you another one. Um, if we are so willing to give the things away for the stew, why do we claim to love them so much? If we are so willing to give the things away for the stew... Why do we claim to love them so much? And the answer for that is we get so focused on the stew, we forget. I think one of the uh, biggest things that Satan does for us is he tends to make us forget our family. He tends to make us forget our responsibility. And we forget all of that stuff because we are only living in the moment. Great question. All right. Um, Do you know um, there is a huge stain on the front of your shirt? No, I did not know that, but thank you very much. All right.
By the way, that was my secretary, my former secretary, who uh, <laughs> who texted that in. All right. Well, um, let me tell you, before the band plays, I've y'all been standing out here a long time. I apologize. If this is your first time here at One Church, we want to say thank you so much for coming. I would encourage you to go by our guest services and pick up one of these cards. You can flip it on the back. You can fill it out. We're going to give you a gift just to say thank you for coming. We're not going to stalk you. We're not going to show up at your house. So I'd encourage you to do that. We're going to stand and take our offering. I want to remind you that all of the money that you give goes to change lives. In fact, during the month of November... We are giving a portion of our tithes and offerings to go to the Mana Cafe to help feed homeless people here in Clarksville. So thank you so much for your giving. We can all stand. Thanks.